anytime you turn on the news today, what you hear is about the economy. But I think that probably in a time like this, there's probably not a more timely message. And to be honest with you, it was one that I had a hard time putting together and thinking through because it was not on my radar as far as a message that I thought we needed to talk about. Especially when you think about essentials. But whenever you think about what's going on and what it's doing, it's literally rocking our world. Literally rocking our world. To where trillions of dollars of wealth is gone. Where people's value in homes and businesses and, and, and 401Ks and whatever else out there is gone. I jokingly tell people, I just get to work another 10 years in my life and uh, to make up for what has been lost. I was reading a statistic just yesterday that 40% of Americans say that the recession has hit them either with a job loss or reduction in pay. 40% of Americans, 60% of them say that their retirement accounts have been affected. I would have thought 100%. But there is a tremendous element that's going on that's playing out here. That America's power to make wealth has been compromised. The power to make wealth and to, to generate an economy that obviously trickles throughout the world has been compromised to the point that now it's, it's hurting on every front. And so I think about a couple of thoughts that I just want to lay out for you today as just introduction to this message that really does fit into the essentials. Because if you're one of those persons who's lost their job, or you know someone who's lost their job, or you've had a reduction in your pay, then you're one of those who's right now looking at essentials. You're right now counting everything that you do and making everything that you do count. Hopefully you are. And hopefully you're not piling all up on this little plastic piece of thing, okay? Because that will only prolong your misery and increase your miseries. So right now, the word essentials is right, right where most everybody in this room is. Or they're thinking that, or they should be thinking that. But here's a couple of thoughts, and you can jot them down if you want. Just general observations about life. We are a complicated culture. That's the first point I want you to understand. In America, we're a very complicated culture. And I think we've somewhat brought that on ourselves. I don't think it was a part of God's design. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7.29 well, probably one of my favorite verses right now in this time in which we live that's calling me back, it says this. It says, God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. God has made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves complicated. And I think that we are in a complex, complicated world in which we live, and a lot of this we have brought on ourselves. Before, in, in, back in 1999, before when Lori and I were praying about whether or not to come back and start a church, and we were looking at the world, and we have the world obviously on our hearts still to this day, and we were looking at where, why, we were looking from Boston to Seattle, and we landed in Arkansas. But uh, anyway, we were looking at where, we were looking at what, we were looking at all these different things, and whether or not we should stay on the mission field in Africa, but this is a mission field as much as anything. So where were we going to be? And I came across a chain letter that, uh, that was going out. And I think the person who wrote this, and I don't know who it is, 
But I think they captured the American culture so very well. It was actually, this statement was just one of the little linchpins, the little little markers that, that God said, yes, you need to go back to America to start a church, but not just a church, a different church. You need to go back to start a different church. You need to raise up a different kind of Christian. And this was the statement. The paradox of our time in history is that we spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time, more medicine but less wellness. We read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. These are the times of tall men and short characters, deep prophets and shallow relationships. These are the days of two incomes but more divorces, of fancier houses and broken homes. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to our life but not life to our years. We've cleaned up the air but we've polluted the soul. I think that that statement could probably be never more true than true of our culture. And maybe I know I'm speaking as an American to Americans, but I think there's a little bit of an advantage that when you live outside of America for a while and you look back in, that you begin to see some of the spiraling down that's happening. As we are advancing upward, we're spiraling downward. How can that be? And so, again, as I've for months have been praying through this message series, God, what are the essentials, the absolute must-haves in our culture? God just kept bringing me here. And even two weeks ago when I was working on this message, he just kept shaving. I thought I was going this way, but no, he wants me to go this way. And I think it's to come back and maybe as we're, our heads are a little bit rattled and we're seeing stars and maybe as everybody in this room is, is feeling that, oh, I need to be very careful and appreciate my job more than ever and really watch my dollars and cents more than ever, maybe now's the time for this message. Because a year ago, two years ago, I think it would have gone in one ear, not the other. But maybe today, Maybe I will hear what God's been laying on my heart. Maybe you will hear what God is saying and modeling in His Word. We live and we have generated and we have made this culture that we live in very complex when God created it simple. Here's another observation. We are a consumer culture that must consume or be consumed. My observation We are a consumer culture that must consume or we are consumed. I'm not saying I know it all, but I've been able, though I'm close, but anyway. I've been able to travel to 21 countries in 18 years. And I know some of you all have been to more than that, but I've been able to see a lot of different cultures. Democracies and communism and monarchies. I've been able to see them from a spiritual perspective because just every one of, just about every one of those countries that I've been in, I've been there on a as an ambassador role for Christ, and um, 
I was in Ukraine two years after communism fell and was able to look into Communist Party member leaders' eyes. I can remember this one science teacher looking at me and telling me that I was taught this all my life. I grew up, I went to school and was taught this. I have been teaching generations atheism, and now I see that I have been wrong. All my life has been spent on a lie. So we talked, and he came closer. I hope today that he might be a believer. I've been able to stand outside a Buddhist uh uh, I guess you call it a temple, and heard inside the chants of probably a hundred Buddhists and outside the parishioners praying and burning incense and just watched, just observed, and just prayed. As they were praying to their God, I was praying to mine, much like the Mount Carmel experience that Elijah went through. I've been able to to be at the birthplace of Confucianism. I've been able to be with two students who, again, were taught atheism in school, in communist schools in China. I've been in, in animistic villages throughout southern Africa and have been surrounded by just beyond the campfire light of, of what I did not know at the time, but the national brothers who were with me told me afterwards were demon-possessed people all around beyond the campfire light. They were acting out, and I didn't know that while I was teaching. I've been in Jerusalem with the Jews, the, the devout Jews, and stood at the, the temple wall, and where at the temple wall you're able to, to, where the Jews are praying, and you'll write out little prayers, and you'll stuff them in the cracks of the, the walls. And, you know, God hears those prayers because Lori and I, were dating at the time, and my prayer was, God, do you want me to marry Lori? And so I stuck it in the wall, and he answered it from the wall. So go to the wall. <laughs> I've been to the largest mosque in West Africa, and uh, I've laid awake in bed while Muslims got out of bed to pray at 5 in the morning, hearing their call to prayer. So I think I've seen a lot of different religions fleshed out in a lot of different people. But I want to tell you what I think is absolutely truth for America. We might be in the most dangerous situation. It's not because God has left government. It's not because we can't pray in the schools anymore. I kind of laugh at that. Kids pray all the time. Every time there's a test, they're praying all the time. I think the greatest problem is almost a blindness on our part where we don't even see it because we're in the midst of it. We're living in the trees, and so we don't see the forest. We don't see the complexity that we've created. We don't see the consumerism that we are generating and that we are feeding and that is feeding us. We don't see that because we're living in the midst of it, and we've lost it, our perspective on life and what really matters. Because I think the greatest problem facing America isn't atheism, isn't the Republican or the Democratic Party, isn't the deficit, or anything else. It is materialism that has a, a subtle and strong grip on us that we don't even realize sometimes. The Center for Media Research said that American youth between the ages of 12 and 16 
have a greater purchasing power than the entire Russian gross domestic product. Our teenagers have more buying power than Russia. Of the six leading industrial nations, USA, Japan, France, Germany, UK, and China, Roper Group asked kids from 7 to 12 years of age, and they got them in all these different countries, and they set them down, and they asked them, what do you dream about the most? What do you dream about the most? Now, these are kids. These are children. they got more buying power than Russia. What are you dreaming about? Eighty percent of all the six industrialized nations, the most powerful, most influential nations on the planet, 80% of American children say they daydream about being rich. It's built into our culture. It's subtly, we grow up in it and we think that this is the way to go and we honor it and we aspire to it. But we need to listen to what First Timothy, Paul told First Timothy, young Timothy in 6.9, when he said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and plunge men to ruin and destruction. Pastors, churches, businesses, agencies, institutions have fallen time and time again for love of want and stuff and material. Now, is this a message to say that you need to do away with your new clothes and your new car and your house and your vacations? No. This is a message to cause us to think. And if all you have that happens to you today is an epiphany of, oh, my lands, I am sucked in and I don't even realize it, then let it be that. If all that happens today is a, is a wake-up call from God to think that, oh, my lands, I need to make an adjustment in my life, in my priorities, then let it be. We've talked about breathing. We've talked about some essentials of life. Today I would call this vision. We need to learn to see what we're not seeing. And simplicity will bring clarity in this complex world is the title of my message. Whenever going into this, again, message series, I, I laid it out months ago. And I felt as if this message series needed to be about surviving life growing up in our faith, spiritual formation, whatever you want to call it, I just felt like we were lacking there as a church. I felt like we're lacking there as a culture, but I, I, I only have the privilege of influencing this group of people here, you. So how is it that we can get to the bare essentials? And to create a to-do list, you need to do your Bible studies. You need to do your prayers. You need to give. You need to do, do, do. And I felt like I was creating this shopping list of things that you needed to go home to put more on your life and more on your plate of, did I do my do list today? And that is not what I think it means in spiritual formation. We've made it very mechanical. In, in, in relation to growing in, in our faith in Christ. When I don't think it's mechanical, I think it's far more organic. It's far more about a relationship that grows because we've nurtured it. Because it's a relationship with God because we love Him and He loves us and we are in this relationship and we are growing in that relationship. And so I did not want to come in here 
and give you a to-do list. I felt like there was a, a, a major disconnect in that. Some people would think that, oh, if I get my 10%, then I get 90% for me, so I've done my 10%, check it off. Well, you realize God owns 100% of it. And what if we looked at 100% of everything that we have as His instead of just 10%? That's the mechanical. What about the organic where everything belongs to Him? Willard and Foster, two of the guys that I read quite a bit on in, in going into this series, both had a chapter in their books on this topic. One guy called it frugality. Another guy called it simplicity or simplify. I'm going to use the word simplicity. That we need to simplify our lives. Take your Bibles. Be finding the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9. We've looked at Jesus in, in every passage, every time in this series. To study how he spent time in solitude, silence, and scripture. And how we need to spend ten minutes every day at least beginning. And again, that sounds mechanical, but that's just the beginning point. The getting on point. We talked about last week how we need to inhale and exhale. We need to worship and we need to serve. It's a part of our life. If you just inhale all the time, then your lungs are going to explode. You're going to be the fattest Christian in this room. Inhale. Exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Constantly, regularly, as often as you inhale, you should exhale. This week, I want to talk about simplification and how we need to simplify our lives. And in simplifying our lives, we actually are helping to create, listen to this word, margin in our lives. And when we have margin in our lives, then God can now begin to work in that. But when all of our time is taking and all of our resources are taking and all of our thoughts are taking up with thoughts of other things, then where can God work? I don't have time to serve. I don't have resources to give. I don't, I don't, I don't because we haven't simplified our life. We have filled up the margins and we're spilling over. Take any category of our life. We've done that so often. So Jesus is dealing with people all the time who want to follow him. Some come to him and say, I want to follow you. He goes to others and say, hey, I want to, you, you want to follow me? He's inviting people. There's this constant interaction between the people that he's dealing with day in and day out. And as we deal with this, we have been talking about discipleship from the very get-go. And that discipleship is that following of Jesus. So it's only natural that we come back to another passage when Jesus is dealing with some more people and about whether or not they're going to follow Him. And He has four different accounts here in this passage of Scripture. But I want us to answer this question today. How do I live a simplified life in this complex world? Because there is, listen very carefully to this, there is a gravitational pull to complexity. There's a gravitational pull to complexity. How can I live the simplified life? How can I live a more simplified life the way that Jesus might want me to live? The very first answer to that question I think Jesus models for us is, listen to this, downsize your expectations for living. Downsize your expectations for living. You might see this as an un-American message, but please don't base your spirituality on nationalism. On Americanism. Base your spirituality in your walk, in your life, in your decisions, in your values upon God's Word. 
And I think one of the things that we have built into our culture, that more is better, that faster is better, that bigger is better, that higher is better, that more complex is better. And I think what Jesus models for us is more of a simplified model. More of a less can be better. Look with me at Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. Luke 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, so this person is approaching Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go, Jesus, I'm with you. Count me in. I'm on the club. I'm on the bandwagon. Give me the tattoo. Give me the Kool-Aid. Whatever, Jesus, I am with you. Okay, I'm going with you, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have, have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was a homeless man. Jesus was a homeless man not because he couldn't make it in this world. He had a trade trade given to him growing up that he could have easily made it in this world. But Jesus did not know that night where his next meal was coming from. He didn't know that night where he was going to lay his head. The birds and the, and, and the, and the, and the foxes and everything out in the fields had a better, more sure, more confident way than he did. Jesus models for us a standard of living that will blow our standard of living away. Luke 9.23, it's been our verse throughout. Read it with me. I think it will be on the screen. Luke 9.23, if anyone comes after... Read it with me. If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We have broken this verse down every week in some capacity or way. I would say it would be the last phrase. Can we follow the example of Jesus? And do we really know what that means and what that may cost? Richard Foster said the lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. The lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. James chapter 5, verse 5 says, Your life on earth was full of rich living and pleasing yourself with everything you wanted. You made yourself fat like an animal, ready to be killed. And again today, the greatest epiphany that you might face today is that you have sucked into, you have been sucked into the sickness of the, psycho, of the psychosis that I am all about affluence. There's an old documentary that came out a few years ago called Affluenza. You need to watch it. It's, it's dated for sure. But I was watching it recently, and the word has since stuck that we in our culture suffer from the disease of affluenza. Foster calls it a psychosis. Our heroes in our culture, we have redefined what, what, what our ambitions are. We have allowed this psychosis to shape our, our thoughts. We have turned covetedness and call it ambition. Hoarding and we call it prudence. Greed and we call it industry. Now, am I saying that we don't need to work? No, I'm not saying that. I say we don't need to save? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying somehow in here, and I don't know what the balance is, I'm going to let God and you deal with that. Well, somehow in here, we have got to do some hard and fast self-examinations of where I am, where am I living, and am I suffering from the psychosis? 
In our cultures, we have made the heroes those who pull themselves up by their bootstraps and go from rags to riches. In a recent Forbes uh, online article that I was reading, it said that two-thirds of the world's billionaires made their fortunes from scratch. Two-thirds of the world's billionaires. We're talking about Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Ralph Lauren, J.K. Rowling. People who made their fortunes from the ground up. Those are our heroes. We look at them. We study them. We want to be like them. What's the next thing that's going to be created in a garage that's going to end up this multi-billion dollar business? And they inspire us, those who go from rags to riches. But have we considered the way of Jesus who went from riches to rags? Who is nobler? Who is wiser? Who is more admirable? I'm not saying I can't learn from Jobs and I can't learn from Gates. We should. But when I voluntarily, willingly, of my own accord, because God has prompted me, say, that's enough, thank you. I can do without, thank you. Somebody else needs it worse than I do. And I'm going to make sure they get it. Jesus modeled it for us. In fact, even in times when he was, they were trying to serve him, there were times that because he is God and, and all of that, he allowed to be served. But, but there were times that he said, no, 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 Mark 10, 45. No, 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 I'm not, I'm, not here, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Would you read that verse with me? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. What? Wow. To serve and to give. And when we upsize and upgrade and upscale our lives, many times what gets pushed out first and foremost are opportunities to give and opportunities to serve. We live in this high-maintenance, high-end, high-speed, upscale, five-star, first-class lifestyle. You say, oh, you're not talking about me. Get on a plane. I'll take the poorest person in America, put them on a plane, and they'll be at least middle class. They'll at least be middle class in more parts of the world than not. God's a global God. He's not an American God. And He has blessed America. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But to whom much is given, much is required. And we have to do some real heart searching. Am I upsizing? Am I advancing myself? All about myself? Or am I downsizing? My living expectations for the benefit of God, but because of our schedules, because of our desires, because of our limitations and our resources, because we've stretched ourselves so thin, we no longer can give. We no longer can serve. And Jesus Christ said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. How much does that model my life? 
There's two effects when we don't downsize our expectations. Jot them down. Number one, we live to be served rather than to serve. We live to be served rather than to serve. When it comes to to serving around this room and the ministry fair that we have going on, we have narrowed it down. We have brought it down to the essentials. This is what it takes for Grace Point Church to continue to fulfill its mission here, Northwest Arkansas, in our, in our, in our, inside our church. These are the essentials. How can we walk in and walk out and not prayerfully, earnestly find a ministry that requires of us something? How can we? Oh, it's only because we have our other plans. I want to be the first to the restaurant. I want to be the first. I, I, I got late plans this summer. You know, I just, I just can't commit. I'll be here on Sunday. Worship, don't, don't count on me for that. I'll be here for that. I need to be fed. I need to inhale. But serving, I don't know. I, I, I don't want us to miss this. Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. Number two is when we live this upsized life and we don't downsize, we live to receive rather than to give. We live for ourselves in our receiving. This is so much a part of our culture. What's in it for me? Where's my win? What recognition do I get? What title do I gain? What I Listen, Jesus is not offering anybody anything who wants to follow Him. He's not offering them position. He's not offering them an office. He's not offering them a title. He can't even offer them the food for that next evening. He can't offer them a bed. He can't offer them anything. He says, listen, you're going to follow me, go wherever I'm going to go. Guess what? I don't know where I'm going, and I don't know what I'm eating, and I don't know what I'm going to have out there tomorrow. Because we've stretched ourselves in our resources, and we've justified it in our mind. When it comes time to give, the question is not how much can I give, but how little can I give and get by with it. See, I could have had a message just on giving today. We all need to give. Boom, check it off. We all need to tithe. Check it off. I tithe. I do it. I've been tithing since I was a child. My mother right under the front row taught me to tithe. I've been tithing all my life. I could have had a whole message, told you whole kinds of stories about my life and tithing and how God blessed me. But it wasn't about that. It's about I know that some of the times in my life that I have the hardest time giving is because I so much enjoy receiving. But then when I look at the life of Jesus, sometimes I don't see myself there. When you look at the life of David, one of the greatest men ever to live in the Old Testament, and he was given an opportunity that he was not going to have to sacrifice. You can read the whole story in 2 Samuel 24 in your own time. But he would not give a gift that cost him nothing. He had to feel it. It had to cost him something. When Jesus is sitting in the temple, he's looking across at those who are giving their, their gifts. And you know what? You can measure more about a person's spiritual life in their giving than you can in many other areas of their life. He's looking across. He's seeing all these people drop in their big chunk change. The big, the big dollars, the big coins making all this noise. He sees this little widow walk up there, drop in two coins. And he said, she gave more than all those others. How was that? Because it really cost her. 
really cost her. You look at the early church in Barnabas and how Barnabas was an amazing individual. But when you go beneath the surface of him just being the one who helped disciple Paul and go on the first missionary journey with Paul, when you go back even further than that, when this poor struggling church was trying to make it, Barnabas goes out and sells land and takes the land, takes the money and lays it at the apostles' feet. With no strings, you use it where there's a need. You can read that whole story in Acts chapter 4. There's tremendous value when we downsize our life so we can upgrade our giving and our serving. It's not about giving today. It's not about serving. It's about downsizing so that God can have some areas of our life that He can work. How's He working? I know it's a heavy message. Please thank you. I think it's, I think it's probably... And we're going to keep going. I think it's probably, this message is probably the most important message of this series. Because I know that if this message sinks in, it will change your life. The other ones, you might be able to just add on. Take off 10 minutes, add 10 minutes to your life. You can do that. Oh, take on a ministry, take on a ministry, okay. This is downsizing our complete life. What does that look like? The second thing that Jesus models in this passage is to remove external distractions. Verse 59 gives us a, a place it out when he says, and he said to another, follow me. He's inviting this person to follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And, but he said to him, allow the dead to bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everything that the kingdom of God. Another said also, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why is Jesus so hard? It's the question I ask. Why can't a man go bury his father? Why can't a man go home and say goodbye to his family? And Jesus is communicating a very urgent message that must be heard. It's not that Jesus is insensitive and you can't bury your family members. But if there's anything in your life Anything in your life that's causing distractions that from full-on, complete, surrendered obedience to Him, it ought not be there. And we've got to remove the distractions from our life if we're ever going to do it. A distraction is anything that stands in your way, moral or immoral, of being 100% in step with Christ. There's nothing wrong with burying the dead. There's nothing wrong with saying goodbye to your family. You know what? There's nothing wrong with making a million dollars. It's not the million dollars if a million dollars is your lot. It's what you do with the buck and the quarter that you got. It, it, it's, it's not so much that you're a millionaire that makes it immoral. Money's all moral. Jobs all moral. Activities, all moral. Lake, all moral. Vacations, all moral. But it's how it controls us and how it shapes us and makes us and distracts us from being all that God would want us to be. What it may mean today for all of us is a life adjustment. A life adjustment 
Because if there's anything keeping you from serving, what needs to go? What needs to be rearranged? Schedules, times? What keep what pulls you away that can't that you can't serve one worship one? Why? Members? Why? Why? Give me the reason. Giving. Giving. Why should, why should that ever even be a negotiated fact in my mind? It ought to be first on my lips when I consider all that He has given to me. I mean, really, am I following Christ if I have to negotiate with God and rationalize with God on this one? No. Downsize our life. But also get rid of any distractions in our life. Here's a verse for us. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, and I'm really through. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I will not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I will not be in want and still and profane the name of my God. You know, I close with just the affirmation that that um, I have not lived it perfectly. And I'm not even beginning to go there. In fact, this has been more of a cleansing time for me than it, and rearranging time for me than, than maybe it has will be for you. But I hope not. But I can say this. As a person who has been tithing and beyond to this church for four years, I'm just giving you a testimony. I look back without one moment of regret. One moment. I thank God that He's given me that privilege and responsibility. As a person who's given their life to serving God in a vocational way, we're all should be given our life to serving God wherever we are, but in a vocational way, I look back on it with no regrets. I was on the phone with Lori last night at midnight her time and whatever time our time, 6 o'clock our time. And uh, she was going to bed. She was telling me goodbye before she goes to the bush and and all that kind of stuff. And she said, Caleb got off the plane. And she said, Mom, I want to live here again. It's hot. It's dirty. It's nasty. There's nothing about it that's attractive at all. But when your kids are crying out they want to live there, you know what? I would chunk all of this, whatever this is for Mike McDaniel, in a heartbeat if God said go back. In a heartbeat. It would be a. I'd live in a mud hut, in the bush. If that's what God wants me to do, say, "Oh well, I've said the same thing, Mike." Yeah, but listen, I'll do it. I'll do it. I've done it, and I'll do it. So I tell you this as, as a testimony of a satisfied customer. There's nothing that I've given that I regret giving. There's no place I've served that I regret serving. And the key on that is getting the distractions out of my life so that I can serve. Anything distracting you? Anything that you've upsized in your life that you really need to downsize? 
Would you pray with me? I just want you to be still for a moment. And I want you to listen to that still, small voice of God who may be saying to you, it's time to downsize. You've allowed too many things to come into your budget, into your calendar, into your dreams that they're pushing me out. It's time to downsize. You may be here and there are all kinds of excuses to why I need to go do this and I've got to take care of this and I'll come back and I'll take care of that. If there's anything that's keeping me from being 100%, 100%, 100%, following Jesus, no matter if it's good or what, I need to put it aside. Is he showing you anything?